Welcome to Funding the Dream on Kickstarter. You're listening to episode 172. Again, on this episode, I don't have a guest. I have a co-host, and I would like to uh, welcome you to Funding the Dream, and my co-host is... Jamie Spigmeyer of Stonemeyer Games. I'm happy to be back, Richard. This is awesome. Uh, this is great that uh, we get to do these. I'm looking forward to uh, these. Our last conversation about free international shipping, I thought was... Uh, I had a lot of fun with that. We've gotten some positive feedback on that. So here we go. This is our second time at this. Um, what are we going to talk about this time? What was that last thing that you talked about on the last episode? That You threw it out in like the last 30 seconds. Well, in the last episode, we talked kind of about the, the shipping and distribution process, the, the logistics there. Let's back up a little bit and talk about, um, I guess, the manufacturing side of things, what goes into the product and how that relates to how you present the product on Kickstarter. Are you offering a single product or are you offering 20 different variations of that with 10 different add-ons and, and 20 reward, reward levels? Does all that affect shipping? Okay. Yeah, you're right. Because you, uh, in the last episode, you were talking about how a single part can cost you $25 to ship it out as a replacement right. part. Um, and, there's, and when it comes to manufacturing, I'll wait to the last 30 seconds to throw mine out. Uh, it has to do with just... You asked me about this tipping point on the last episode, and when it came to like shipping, I'm going to continue to say I think that Kickstarter is transforming every industry it touches, whether it's film, dance, uh, technology, games, which is a, a focus that you and I often spend a lot of time in. And mm -hmm. I think uh, an entire ecosystem is being built up around that, and I'd love to be able to talk about that. But let's talk about what you just said. So – Go. I'm not sure where you were going with that, but go. You were talking about manufacturing and variation. Sure. So, well, so when you're structuring your your Kickstarter project, I think it's um, I think it's almost become second nature for project creators to keep adding on more stuff, and not just in terms of stretch goals. So this is what I talked about talking about stretch goals. I'm talking about add-ons and, and the number of different types of versions of the product you put out there. With the shipping model we discussed on, on the last episode, uh, it's kind of contingent upon having only a few variations of your product. So, for example, for Euphoria and Viticulture, there are two different Kickstarter versions for each of those games, and then there's a retail version. That means that I only have to deal with three different barcodes. When I go on Amazon de in Germany, I only have to create three different versions of the game on their website. Um, and Panda Game Manufacturing, my manufacturer, when they put the game together, they only have to put together three versions of the game. Now, Richard, you, you've seen, you've looked at many different Kickstarter projects. That's not the case for all projects, is it? No, you know, and that brings up, I had Steve Jackson on the episode uh, when in the middle of their Ogre campaign. And a piece of advice I gave to him when they were like at $100,000 was stop doing stretch goals. <laughs> I said, you don't need them because uh, they were adding that stretch goal every $20,000. And this is a product that almost crossed the million-dollar mark. And that thing became I'm, – I'm, now people are having a lot of fun as the product finally is shipping that they're unboxing this – You know, it takes a, a pallet, holds one game. It's just – it's a huge <laughs> – it's like, what are you doing? You don't need – that and T-shirts. I tell people never, right. don't do T-shirts. Don't do T-shirts. Uh, those things take a lot of time because you might think, oh, okay, well, I'll send my, my game out from um, 
from even if you have this, this efficient shipping system with Amazon.com or Amazon anywhere in the world, you might have that, but you think, okay, well, I'll do a T-shirt. You can't send those T-shirts to Amazon and have them pack it with the game. You have to ship those T-shirts yourself. And that, even just in terms of time, it takes a ton of time to ship those ancillary items. And every time you do that, every time you detract focus from your core product, I think the core product suffers. Why? And the vast majority of backers who really only care about that core product suffer a little bit too. Why? They want you to just make a great game or a great product. They don't They don't really care about the t-shirt. Really? I mean, really? There's so <laughs> many people are like, no, I, I got it because of the t-shirt. So you say they suffer. <laughs> How are they suffering? Well, there's only so much time in the day. So like from my perspective, I, I'm here to design and publish games. And if I'm spending half of my time shipping T-shirts around the world, then that's that much more time that I can't spend designing and publishing games. And I think the vast majority of, of backers of my project, they're not there for – I don't even think I have any ancillary items at this point for Euphoria. I didn't even do any custom art or anything like that. But okay, okay. they're there for the game. The game okay. is successful because of the game, not because of the T-shirt. So let's stop and just do a reality check for our listeners who maybe didn't follow your project. Oh, Vidi, sure. Vidi, yeah. Vidi Culture went out, what, a year ago? About a year ago, yeah. We had 942 backers, and we raised about $65,000. 900 back. So what is that, Sixty about $60 a, a copy? Yeah, just about. And you said you had a, just a couple of variations. And Vidi, just so people who are listening, uh, many know, but Vidi Culture is a worker placement board game. I'm using a term that some might not be familiar with, basically, and it's a wine, a winery. You run a winery, right. putting down workers to grow the grapes and stomp the grapes and press the grapes and all that stuff, right? Right, exactly. And okay. then Euphoria, our second game. Okay, um, so is, Euphoria is a came dystopian. out. And when did yeah, it? Euphoria came out? Sorry, <laughs> go ahead. That's all right. Go ahead. Uh, Euphoria came out in in or the the Kickstarter was in May and June of 2013 this year. And we raised over $300,000 and had over 4,700 backers. So about a, a five times the number of backers and funds as Viticulture. Was the Euphoria projects simpler than the Viticulture? And when I mean simpler, not that, oh, hey, I know what I'm doing now, so it's simpler. But no, that the what we were just referring to, the moving parts and pieces, did you keep it simpler? Were there fewer anything in terms of uh, the game itself the game the, the complexity is pretty similar but in terms of reward levels yeah, yeah i simplified it a lot with with viticulture I, I was kind of following that old model of hey let's throw on stuff that is not the game and that will attract people to the project like wine coasters so, uh, right, right, like wine, wine coasters right right yeah. we didn't do t-shirts but we we had a few things like that and I just found that I spent so much time on that stuff when, when that time could have been better used. And so with Euphoria, yeah, it's a lot more streamlined. Everything is about the game. Everything comes down to the game. So is that a piece of uh, advice, I guess, that we're – because there's some people who are going to say, well, no, wait a minute. I, you know what it is? I think – you're inter bringing up an interesting point. And that is, I'm wondering if a project owner is 
somehow self-conscious about the fact, or not self-conscious, but worried of the value of their project. And so this, these add-ons are almost to, to cover up the insecurities of the, the value of the project itself. Am I making sense? So hey, yeah, if I to- and you might, right, if yeah. I toss in a T-shirt, then people will like my project better, and I'll get more money. Right, right. Or they, they. I, I have heard the the argument that you know every dollar matters, and, and you've talked quite a bit about how every dollar does matter. Every every one dollar backer makes a big difference. I think you had uh, true Roger but- Roger Hicks on your, but that yeah. this, that's different than a T-shirt with. Right. With a T-shirt, sure, you may ha- you might make eighty extra dollars from those eight eight backers who who got the T-shirt, but you're spending so much more time on that. In per- it's disproportionate to the time that you should be spending on that you could be spending on other things. So you should stay. F- you're, you're talking about a focus here. Focus on the project, the game, and and increasing the value of the game. Because I guess you could do it originally. The stretch goals. If I recall, oftentimes stretch goals, which originated in the board game category, stretch goals on Kickstarter oftentimes were, okay, I'm making this game as cheap as I can. Oh, if we raise twice the amount of money, I can upgrade the components to higher quality. I can upgrade the art. I can upgrade the the cardstock. I can upgrade the the board, the pieces. We can move from – uh, plastic to wood, although on one of my episodes I discovered that wood is often cheaper than plastic, which I okay. found uh, surprising. But that was – oh, that was from uh, Michael Lee from Panda Games who said – It that was. It yeah. was. Um, and so that's originally where the stretch goals were, how to take your product and make it better. Um, right. Nowadays, yeah, nowadays a stretch goal is, oh, get this game and we'll – Right. Well, send you tickets to Jamaica. Uh, it's just no. That's not really a stretch goal. But the point is, the disconnect right. sometimes is increasing the disconnect between what you're offering and what these stretch goals do. And the, and you're talking about adding a level of complexity that that's detracting from the quality of the product you're offering. Exactly. And I think any project creator during the project, they're going to have backers asking for something like this. That is not the project. And that's okay. It's great that backers are passionate enough to ask for more stuff. Often backers want to find ways to give more money. But um, I think project creators have to be have to look after the, the best interest of the majority when making those decisions. Does that in the t-shirt hurt the majority or does that in the t-shirt or some other ancillary product help most backers? And most often, that is not the case. Okay. All right. I have another question to ask you. Yeah. We're going to segue just a little bit. It has something to do with any other things you want to say about this? Because I want to talk about manufacturing. Sure. Well, actually, the one, one other quick item as we're talking about this, um, and as we're talking about shipping, because this is kind of the overall topic, you shouldn't start thinking – I think this is kind of a reminder that you shouldn't start thinking about – the impact that uh, the structure of your game or your project has on shipping, you shouldn't wait until during or after the project to think about it. These are decisions that you should be thinking about well before you put the game or the project, the product on Kickstarter. Explain that. What are you talking about? I think I know what you're talking about, but explain it. Well, if you structure a project where you want to have 20 different add-ons, um, 
that's a that's a decision that you could make, but you need to make it well before the project because it will affect shipping and your time to, to such a large extent. So and that's so you, just something that you need to think about in advance. So what you're saying is by when you say think about it in advance, that's Jamie speak for you need to be planning for the cost. You need to be when you say thinking, you actually are really talking about planning and budgeting and structuring your campaign to make sure that you don't get in trouble. Exactly. Because some people would take the word thinking to say, oh, yeah, I thought about it. I thought it was cool. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, there no, should no. be hard numbers, yeah. Speaking that's of hard numbers, you, you, that's one of the things that sets you apart, right? Um, you've got some good hard numbers out there. Any hard numbers you want to share with any uh, – how about Euphoria? Because that was your most recent project. Right. Got any hard numbers out of that? I know I said I had a question about manufacturing, but we'll come back to that. You got any hard numbers that uh, maybe somebody might be interested in? Or did I catch yeah, up? Well, with, Go ahead. No, no, yeah. With with Euphoria, um, so one of the questions you raised in actually the last podcast we, we did was, uh, is it worth it to have international backers? Is that worth it? And I've come to think, through my project, I, I, I've come to the conclusion that it absolutely is worth it. Um, with a good culture, 29% of backers were international. With Euphoria, when we figured out this more efficient and cost-efficient mailing system, um, that number increased to 39% of all backers were international. Wait, well, 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 hang on. So 39% of four, over 4,000 backers, you didn't just go up in a, a huge increase in number of backers. You went, That's a huge jump right? in international. And you, do you, So you're saying that you think that's directly tied to the fact that because of the way you handled shipping? I think so. I I think it made a, a big difference because I think international backers have, they're used to the old model of Kickstarter and, and unfortunately somewhat to, to a certain extent the current model of Kickstarter where they have to pay $40, $50 for shipping. They have to pay almost the cost of the game or the product just in shipping alone. They double the cost. And so I think it was refreshing and it continues to be refreshing as other project creators do this. When a, when a backer from Germany goes on the Kickstarter and sees that they only have to pay Ten extra dollars, or on my project, no extra dollars to get shipping to Germany. Uh, that sounds like a competitive advantage. <laughs> it does, but it, uh, I didn't want it to remain a competitive advantage. I wanted this method to benefit Kickstarter as a whole. I think that's why that's why you and I do what we do with Kickstarter. We we, we right. want to create, we want to improve the platform as a whole. That's right. And so, yeah. So the blog entry about free shipping is out there on our website, stonemeyergames.com. Anyone can read it. It's not easy to do it, but it is possible. Uh, you know what? And I need to remind, because we did it on the last last podcast, let's just remind our, our readers. You can go to richardabliss.com, readers, our listeners, richardabliss.com to find the podcast and some commentary. But they can go to your site. What's your site so they can actually read this stuff? It's stonemeyergames.com. And then the, you have a Kickstarter link. Right. There's a Kickstarter lesson link at the upper right of, of the page. Yeah. So, so, Richard, I interrupted you. You wanted to talk about uh, manufacturing abroad. Do we have time to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. No, no. We got, uh, we got three, four minutes here. Um, yeah. This is going to go back to something that I've continued, a, a theme. There's a book out there that I'm going to – Maybe I'll just have to do a review of it. It's quite old. It's, it doesn't feel old, but I feel old sometimes. It is uh, by Clayton Christensen. It's called Innovator's Dilemma. 
I highly recommend it to anybody who reads it. Uh, it's mostly around the technology space, but not necessarily. And it talks about this idea of disruption that I was referring to, how a tiny little thing will come in uh, and it'll disrupt it, a bigger industry. And the disruption happens because it meets a specific need that the more established players in the space aren't willing to service because it's just not cost-effective. It's just not profitable and cost-effective. And he uses all kinds of examples. But in this example, uh, for example, what you've done with shipping has always been there, but you've found this new process, and now suddenly your numbers are indicating huge jumps, and I can't wait to see the next project to see if those numbers continue to climb. But manufacturing, I am told time and time again, Oh, you can't manufacture in the U.S. It's too expensive. You can't do it. Now, we're talking specifically about board games now. Okay. And, and I got to tell you, I flat out don't believe it. Yes, if you follow the exact same model, doing it the exact same way, expecting the exact same profit margins, that everything is exactly the same, yes, you cannot do that. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about just like you can't successfully give away free shipping if you do it the traditional way that everybody's been doing it. I think that there is a a tipping point coming, to use a term that you used, that manufacturing – there are advantages to manufacturing in the U.S. And right now, everybody's telling me you can't because you've got to print 10,000 units or 5,000 units or even 1,200 units. So you can't do that because then your profitability margin isn't high enough and then this and then that. And I just don't buy it. So – and a couple of flip sides is that most of the board game manufacturing happens in China, most of it for the U.S., and most Kickstarter campaigns through Panda Games. I've had Michael Lee, the CEO, uh, co-founder, on the show to talk from Panda Games, a great organization. And one of the reasons that China is doing so well is because they have more modern equipment than the U.S. does. The U.S. has all this legacy stuff. China is all brand new. They all bought it brand new. And so they can do things and achieve quality levels that can't be equaled in the U oftentimes can't be equaled in the US unless you have a certain volume number. So there you go. There's my pre rambling preamble to use up all the time that we have. We got just a, a minute or two. I believe that there is this same thing that you've done with shipping, that there's this way of changing the way we manufacture board games in the US, and it's it's gonna be less profitable but it's going to meet a different need. One of those needs is speed. Right. Right. The ability to get something turnover. You familiar with Zara? You ever heard of Zara? They're a, uh, I'm going to butcher this, but they're a Spanish clothing line that decided that instead of coming out with a new line of clothing seasonal, like one for the spring and then one for the fall, they were going to come out with a new line of clothing every two weeks. Oh, wow. So, the, Or maybe it was four weeks. But the point was that you'd walk into their store, and what you see, if you come back next month, it's all going to be gone. So if you want to buy it now because it's not on sale, but it's just simply mm -hmm. going to be discontinued, and the next line is going to be coming out every two weeks, every two weeks. It transformed the way that they did. Now, I might be confusing them with the shoe company. I don't think so, but whatever. It's my, it, it's our show. So the point was is that they disrupted the way you traditionally brought that particular product to market. I think, and I'd love to talk about it on the next episode because we're out of time, but I'd love to talk about your opinion of where this manufacturing is 
Is that possible? Is it achievable? And what would be some of the ways that we could find it to be successful? What do you think? Can we talk about that next time? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. We've got 30 seconds. We don't have 30 seconds, but you got anything in the last 30 seconds? No, I think that's a good teaser for the next episode. Let's, let's use that as a lead in. Perfect. All right. I'm Richard Bliss, joined by... Jamie Stegmeyer of Stonemeyer Games. And you've been listening to Funding the Dream, the uh, Richard and Jamie show. This is our uh, second episode of uh, this joint co-hosting. We're looking forward to hearing your feedback again uh, on how you think this format's working. And if you like what you've heard, feel free to go to StonemeyerGames.com and check out Jamie's blog or RichardABliss.com and check out mine. Thanks for listening. Hopefully it's been inspiring or something to make you think. We'll talk to you next time. Take care.